and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I say this almost every time, but it's just really not fair how good they sing and how appropriately they lead us in worship. I mean, give them a round of applause. It's not, it really isn't to praise their ability or anything. These people love Jesus, but it's not fair that they make me cry every time before I have to say things. So my name is Frank Trimble. I work for an organization called Family Time Training, and we exist to equip grandparents and parents to pass the Christian faith to the next generation in the home. And it is just such a joy and excitement, a privilege uh, that I feel to be with you today. I I get so excited when it comes time to, to preach at Bentry Church. And so I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in this place. And I'm so anxious to see what he will do in this service and in the next service. I don't take this opportunity lightly. Um, here in a moment, I'm going to read our passage and, and then I'm going to pray. But before I do that, I just want to say a quick note, just a little quick a uh, few things here about Father's Day. And I want to encourage you with something. Now, this isn't just for fathers. This is for everybody in the room. We, we really aren't going to base the sermon today on men in the church or men in the world or what dads should do better. And let me say this in another way. The sermon won't be based on you guys. Does that make sense? And let me tell you why that's an encouragement. I wouldn't want to base any sermon on any person, but it would be like if I wanted to base it on you men or or anybody else in the room, it would be like us handing out mirrors as you walked into the building and encouraging you to just hold it up in front of your face while the announcements are given, while worship through song happens, while worship through the word happens, and just keep it in front. Keep your eyes on yourself. And as soon as we say you're dismissed, wait until you get all the way out of the building so you don't see any other brothers and sisters, then put your mirror down and drive home. How discouraging. <laughs> I don't want to look at myself this morning. I want to look at God. Amen. Okay, so I hope that that encourages you this morning. And at this, in the same breath, we're going to give an opportunity just in a moment to pray for the fathers in our lives or maybe the fathers that never were in our lives. Um, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. I'm going to read our passage. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 68, and we're going to start in verse 1 and end in verse 6. God arises, his enemies scatter, and those who hate him flee from his presence. As smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God. But the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. And celebrate before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless. A champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning, 
And we understand without a doubt that nothing happens outside of the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. So God, I I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would be in complete control of what happens here today. Father, I, I do pray for the people in the room as they relate to Father's Day. I know it's not easy for a lot of people. God, we praise you for the godly men in our lives. But God, I pray for those as well that have had a tough go in this, con- in this context, in this topic. I pray for those that really don't look forward to this day. God, would you comfort them? Would you keep our eyes firmly fixed on you this morning? God, please have mercy on me as I seek to help in that process of keeping this congregation's eyes on you this morning. God, we, we are excited and we, we live in anticipation in this moment for what you'll do because of who you are and because of the word that you've given us. Father, we love you and we trust you. Bentry, I want to give just a moment as Pastor Paul has done in the past. I want you to take just a second, and if there's anything on your mind this morning that's already distracting you for what God has for you this morning, I want you to give it to him. Whatever pops up in your mind that's distracted you, that's made you angry, maybe there's a sin in your life that's unconfessed, would you confess that to the Lord? Would you run to him for his grace? And one more thing before we begin our passage. Would you pray? If you've been harboring guilt against or, or, or anger against your father, your earthly father, would you confess that? Would you forgive that person? If God's given you an, a, a godly earthly father, would you, would you praise our heavenly father for your earthly father? And finally this, would you seek out the spiritual orphan in our midst or the literal orphan in our midst and be a parent to them? Pray for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, one of a, a commonly uh, given phrase, uh, phrases that I, that I heard growing up and that I felt and that I really believed was this phrase, my dad can beat up your dad. Right? My dad, if he were sitting in the room right now, would say that's a lie. You know what I mean? But, but uh, he's not one that's not some big macho guy or something like that. But as a child and even to this day, my dad was the picture of strength in my mind. I mean, he might as well have been Superman. He might as well have been walking around with a cape. There was nobody more important in a given room if my dad was in their presence. I never felt truly afraid if my dad was in the room. I still feel that way. I still feel that way. And I believe that's God's design. But today we're going to look at a passage in Scripture in Psalm 68 like we've already read. And this is the entire theme of the whole passage that David writes. God is victorious. 
God is victorious. And we're going to see why over and over again, over again in this passage this morning. Remember, this is a psalm, so it's a song. It's meant to be sung by the family of God. It's written by King David. Most scholars believe this psalm was written in response, in celebration response to the Ark of the Covenant being returned to the city of David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, which I would love for you to read, and we'll reference that as we go along. Written by David, a psalm about the victorious nature of God. The title of our message today is Father of the Fatherless. Let's look at verse 1. God arises, his enemies scatter, and those who hate him flee from his presence. As smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God, but the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. Here's point number one for our time today. God is our righteous protector. Have you ever just stopped in a given day or maybe on a Sunday morning and just praised God for his strength? Have you ever thought about that? Not necessarily for his strength in situations in your life per se, but just because he is strong. Have you ever taken just a few minutes and thought, our God is the perfect manifestation of strength? There is no one or no thing more powerful than God in or out of the cosmos. And Christian, he's your father. Have you ever just stopped to praise him for his strength? I said, God is our righteous protector. I love the way that David gives us this poetic picture of God's strength. Look at, look at some of the examples that he gives. God arises. You get this sense of his strength being witnessed by his enemies. His enemies scatter as those who hate him flee from his presence. It gives me the idea of like when you turn on a light and roaches just scatter. Or rats or mice turn on that light. They don't want anything to do with it. They're gone. His enemies don't even have the stomach to stay in his presence when he rises. As smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. I love it. Just a puff of smoke is there and just the slightest breeze blows them away. Think of the strongest proclaimed enemy of God. Think of the strongest entity in our world today that sets themselves up in ignorance as a supposed enemy of God. They're like a puff of smoke. When they stand in awe of his presence, the one and true living God. It's like smoke that blows away. What about wax that melts before the fire? It's like even when you burn a scented candle in your house and you leave it on for an hour, boy, that wax just goes down and down and down. Have you ever been in a Christmas Eve service and the wax spills through that middle part of the little cone and it just sears you? I mean, it's, it only takes a few minutes for that wax to melt away just from the heat of a small candle. Imagine the strength of the foes of God and when they stand in the presence of God, they melt. No foundation, no strength, no sinews, no muscle. Our God is the perfect manifestation of strength and Christian, he's your father. Oh, it, It's exciting. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God. Remember, David is, warrior David, 
who needed the presence of God to be victorious in war, who needed the presence of God to even have the ark, this thing that the Lord allowed his presence to be known in and around. He needed the presence of God to be victorious. And when that ark is being brought back in, boy, Second Samuel chapter 6, talk about celebrating and rejoicing, loud noise, instruments. David, and this is something you can go read on your own, it's the part where he says, I'll become even more undignified than this. David is letting it all hang loose, right? He's letting it all go so that he can worship God in spirit and in truth and passion. But the righteous are glad they rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. God is our righteous protector, but I want to protect you from something this morning. You might read a passage like this and you might get tempted a little bit to find the enemies of God, to identify the enemies of God and begin pronouncing threats on them in the name of God. This won't always look like you standing in the face of an enemy and quoting Psalms to them. This might look like you jumping online and defending God with all of your strength and all of your prowess because you have been found in the seat of righteousness and they are the enemies of God. So you stand in God's place and you condemn them with the words of the Psalms. You find other imprecatory psalms and you say, man, I'm going to come after these people. I want to remind you of something this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 says, at one point, before you were a Christian, you were objects of the wrath of God. Objects of the wrath of God. What that means is you were destined to receive the wrath of the living God, not the wrath of Satan, not the wrath of the world, the just and righteous wrath of the living God but God made you alive in him. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing. There's nothing you could have done to be welcomed into the kingdom of God outside of his work, his alien righteousness being applied to your life. Friend, anytime you begin to feel strong, anytime you begin to feel like you're going to correct the world, remember that you deserve nothing but death and hell. I deserve nothing but death and hell. But God in his divine mercy and grace came in and said, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to rescue you. Him rescuing you out of the pit that you were in and the path that you were on is another expression of his strength. And let me say about verse three, you're talking about, so what about this righteousness part? But the righteous are glad they rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus has done, motivated by love, we are literally literally called righteous. Not because of our good works, not because of our intellect, not because of our resume, not because of how passionately we sing, not because of how righteously we can debate, nothing like that. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, dying, Bearing and rising again and ascending into heaven 40 days later, you are called righteous Christian. You receive the just verdict of righteous because of what Jesus has done. Both realities should cause us to praise him for his strength. God is our righteous protector. When the enemies arise, his strength, as we've talked about all morning, if you've noticed, his strength is what we stand behind. You know that phrase, my dad can beat up your dad. Let's, let's redeem that statement a little bit. 
There is no supposed strength that can stand in opposition to the living God. Let me say that again. There is no supposed strength that can stand in opposition to the living God. Have you ever thought about that? People may think they're strong. The enemies of God, and there are many, may think they're wise, may think they're powerful, but it's really an illusion when faced with the reality of who God is. What do we do with this information, David? Where do we go from here? Verse four, sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. Do you know that singing isn't even an option for the child of God? Did you know that singing isn't even a isn't even something we can take or leave. It's commanded many times in scripture. David says, in response to who God is, our righteous protector, we must sing. Singing isn't some random thing that we came up with. Singing and music is a gift from God. And David is one of these chief examples of using music for the passionate praise of God, even if he looks like a fool. Sing to God, people. Sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. This rides on the clouds language is a slap in the face to the false god Baal, who was the storm god of the Philistines. It's like saying, I'm going to expose this false god for who he is. This is the righteous God. He's the one who rides on the clouds. Verse five, God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless. And a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious live in a scorched land. Remember I said the title of our message today is a father of the fatherless. But here's the second point. God is our merciful father. At the beginning of this talk I said this this message is not a based on you dads it's not contingent upon you it's based on God coming out of his word but here's something that every one of you have in common regardless if you had a wonderful biological or adopted father or you never met a father whether your experience with your dad was altogether blissful and blessed or maybe it was very very awful Every one of us in this room has a need to be in a relationship with our perfect, perfect heavenly father, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background. Every one of us has a need, but, but realize that David's point in here is not simply that God is the father of the fatherless. He's got a bigger thing in mind here. God and his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless. It was difficult. It's difficult now and it was difficult then to be an orphan. God's heart was with the orphan and still is. The literal orphan. And a champion of widows. Again, it's difficult now, but I would go so far as to say it was more difficult back then and in the time of Jesus to be a widow financially, socially, emotionally. I mean, you, you name it. Why do we think that Paul, even himself in the epistles, gives so many instructions for how churches are to deal with widows? Sometimes pastors will overgeneralize this concept of widows and just say, oh, what this means is we just need to treat all people that are in need. We, no, we need to focus on widows. 
as a piece of our ministry because God's word commands it. A father to the fatherless, a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. Think of the homeless. Think of those who, regardless of the economy, they cannot seem to find permanent housing. Whatever it might be, think of the people that are marginalized. Think of the people that are on the edge. Think of the poor. God's heart is with these people. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. This isn't a picture of God uh, having uh, prisoners that have done something wrong and releasing them with no rhyme or reason. No, this is talking about think prisoners of war. Think wrongly imprisoned. Think those that are in desperate need of being given justice, of being released from prison. God's heart is for the lowly. God's heart is for the marginalized. Sometimes I like to say it this way. God's heart is for those people that smell bad. (laughs) They might be annoying. They might be a nagging presence on the side of the road. They might be somebody that you know that has a real need, but we turn a blind eye makes me think of the book of Amos, one of the most terrifying books in the Bible. Why? God's righteous wrath is stirred up for primarily one reason, that those that claim the name of God were not only ignoring the poor, but they were taking advantage of the poor, and God's righteous anger was fueled. One quick way to stir the wrath of God is to ignore those in need. I think about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25. He says, when you visited that prisoner, when you clothed the naked, when you fed the hungry, you were doing that to me, child of mine. Enter into paradise. Of course, that's my paraphrase. This is the scene at judgment. The opposite is also true. One of the most terrifying passages in scripture. When you did not visit. When you did not clothe. When you did not feed. You did not do it to me. You missed me. I'm with you in that conviction, brothers and sisters, of going, think of that strong God. Think of that strong God. Think of who is he a champion of, those that are in need. Hear me clearly. It's not just those who have an obvious need, though, this morning. You may be in this place. You may not have met the true and living God. You may not be able to say with full confidence that God is your merciful Father. You may never have met him. You might have heard things, but you've never truly met him. Today would be a great day to join the family of God. Here's the truth. You don't have a choice as to who is king. You don't have a choice as to who is the heavenly father. He is who he is. That will never change. God does not stand outside of your door, lost person, and knock, begging you to let him be king. He cannot help but be king. But here's the truth. Do you hear his heart? He's a champion for the widow, a father to the fatherless. He releases the prisoner. He provides homes for those who are in need. God is our merciful father. Do you know him today? 
Have you acknowledged him as your father? Have you let go of the pain that was caused or the over-reliance that you've dealt with with your earthly father and run to him and embraced him as the living God and the perfect heavenly father? God, Christian, is our merciful father. Just a little bit down this passage. Remember, this whole chapter is about the victorious nature of God. Boy, it's a song of praise. David is saying, sing and shout. Look at the strength of God. Look at the provision of God. Look at who he defends. Look at who he fights for. Sing and exalt who God is. And as the psalm continues, it comes to one of these climactic points in verse 18, which should sound familiar to us. You ascended to the heights, taking captives You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might dwell there. It's this picture of the victorious war king God who has succeeded uh, based on the glory of his name and the protection of his people, and he leads those he has conquered in his train. Do you get that picture? Those that stood against him no longer stand against him. They have been defeated. They are conquered. And they are in his wake. And he walks in victory. The picture that David has in, he walks in victory to Mount Zion. This picture of victory. It's like an exclamation point on the end of war. He is victorious. Why that should sound familiar, and and this is so cool as I was studying this, I, I didn't even realize why this should sound familiar to us is that Paul alludes to this passage in Ephesians 4, 8. This is what he says. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives, he took captives, captives, he gave gifts to people. This is in a section of the book of Ephesians where Paul is talking about gifts given to the church, roles given to the church, how the church should function, what different people should do. And he alludes to Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, when he says, he ascended on high, he took captives, captive, but gave gifts to people. In Paul's mind here, he has this picture of something that would happen in the Roman world called the triumph. The triumph. In the Roman world, there was this really, I mean, when you look it up and you study a little, partic- a little um, strange in some ways ceremony, but it makes sense to us, when a general of war would succeed in some large way, every few years, they would have this huge parade. I mean, it was a massive parade. Everything would kind of shut down, so to speak. Everybody showed up, and the conquering general would be able to retain his title as conquering general, even all the way up to the king's palace for one time, and it was during the triumph. Big party, big parade. Wherever they conquered, they would display in parade the spoils of war. So it would be the gold, it would be the the jewelry, it would be all these things. Even sometimes they would bring exotic animals from the lands that they had conquered. Maybe like elephants or giraffes and they would parade them in front of the citizens of Rome. Look at what we've done. Look at who we conquered. But it doesn't end there. It also includes the warriors of those they beat. Primarily the leaders of the warriors that they would beat. Sometimes if the king would survive, especially that king would be at the front of that part of the line in shame. Conquered by this general. It's a big party for this general. And there's so many elements of this. So many details. It's just picture a huge party. They would even have art displayed of what this nation was like that they just conquered. What is Rome saying? We are the strongest. We are the best. We are victorious. Look what we got. That king used to view himself as mighty. No more. 
This picture Paul has in his mind. And many different scholars debate on what the captives are that he's talking about in specifically Ephesians chapter 4. At least we know this, that sin and death have been conquered by King Jesus. They, they are not his foes. One day they will be fully done with. We sang about that. We rejoice in that. We anticipate that. We look forward to that. So certainly sin and death are destroyed. But can I tell you something cool? Do you know who else was conquered? I said who for a reason? You and I, Christian. You and I. What, what more proof do I have for that? If you want, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul again to the church in Corinth with the same idea of triumph in his mind as a picture for the church in Corinth to understand. You get that parade in your mind. You get the led, led a host of captives behind. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Who is held captive? We are. We no longer own ourselves. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. I want to read for you Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 6. If you're thinking, what, I was captured? I've been led. Why would Jesus capture me? What's going on? But you have to understand that our old self had to be put to death. And at one point, we were absolutely enemies of God. Romans chapter 5, we'll start in verse 6. For while we we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then will we have now been declared righteous by his blood? Will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received this reconciliation. Helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. Remember the smoke? Remember the wax? Remember the picture of cockroaches running away? We weren't just passively enemies of God. We were active enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, which is his title for the devil, following the passions of our flesh, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in him. Made us alive in him. If, you, if I haven't said it yet, the third point of our talk today, and I hope you understand this even more clearly now, God is our triumphant leader. God is our triumphant leader. I love the picture that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He leads us, is always leading us as captives. He has won us. He has conquered our lost state and has bought us and has us 
in his possession. And we give off an aroma. In the Roman triumph, there would be incense burning. Can you imagine just the senses that would have been assaulted by this Roman triumph? It would have been a spectacle. It would have been a party. It would have been a celebration. It would have been this general and his host putting their bet foot forward, displaying their strength. It's not incense or spoils of war like money or animals or art. Jesus leads us along. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gives gifts to men, it says. He doesn't receive gifts. He gives gifts to men. And it's great in this idea of leading us captive. He saves us, rescues us, gives us gifts according to Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12, and then gives those gifts back to the church. We're an aroma. And for those who are being saved, it's a sweet aroma, Paul would say. And for those that are being lost, the aroma of our identity in Christ is a stench. Can I ask you today, are you still spiritually orphaned? Are you still abandoned in your mind? Are you still without hope? Have you been through it? Do you feel lost? Understand, friends, what Jesus came to do will set you free. I will end with this. When Jesus came, he lived a perfect life that we genuinely could not have lived. Perfect obedience to his father. But he died the death that we deserve to die. He took our place. Literally, before Jesus enters into our hearts, before we become Christians, the wrath of God is pointed at us. Picture it this way. When you become a Christian, that wrath of God is no longer pointed at you. It was pointed at his son on the cross. He took your place. Allowing you, outside of your own strength, to come into a relationship with God, he rose again, defeating death in the grave, appeared to Many people over the course of 40 days gave the great commission to his disciples and then he ascended into heaven. And Psalm 110, explained even further in Hebrews chapter one, describes his coronation service. King Jesus, the one who conquered death in the grave. The book of Ephesians even describes us as having been raised with him already. Friend, If you've been stiff-arming God in your mind, today's the day to turn to the Father. Christian, if you've been withholding hate, if you've been withholding judgment, if you've been doing these things, you've been justifying sin in your life and just saying, I'm going to do this because of what happened to me, fill in the blank, we're not discrediting what happened to you, but it's time to give it to God. Romans chapter 10 Verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means boss in control. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in your seat today. But nobody can force you. There's no magic formula. What's required? Faith in God that produces repentance so that you could be given a relationship with the father of the fatherless. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your provision in our lives. God, I thank you for the fact that though I was completely lost and without hope, spiritually abandoned, orphaned, an enemy of yours, Father, you saw fit to rescue me. You saw fit to become my father and adopt me into your family. Father, I pray for those in the room today that don't know you yet. Father, I pray that today would be a day, the day that they come to know you. Father, that your patience would remain on them even for the next few minutes. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put pressure on those that are seemingly resisting you and that they would know what it means to be loved completely and perfectly, to be protected, spiritually protected completely and perfectly, to be provided for in your perfection, God. Would they know what it means to be a part of a family of God? Father, we we trust you with this time. Bentry, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know where they stand with God, brother or sister, would you call out to God today? Do you believe that he is the king? Do you believe that he rose again? Are you willing to give him your life? Then do it now. If you've done that, make sure that you tell one of your elders. Make sure that you tell one of your Christian brothers and sisters in the room. It's not a secret. What a joy. What a joy. Christian in the room, would you just take a moment and praise God for being your perfect father? Just take a moment in your own way. picture of sitting in his lap comes up of standing behind him like a kid Father we love you today thank you for your mercy in our life God be with us as we continue to worship you this morning in the name of Jesus we pray amen thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.